You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to this seminar, The Future of European Security and Defense Challenges and Pathways. Uh, if you're wondering why I'm talking in a microphone, it's because we're also trying to do a podcast uh, of this seminar that will be released afterwards, just so you know. But it won't affect your uh, questions and answers that will be beyond the pod, so it's only the, for the speakers. Last year was a very dynamic year for European security, which of course culminated with the, the PESCO, the decision to establish a permanent and structured cooperation. And uh, we've heard many kind of citations of uh, Federica Mogherini saying that more has happened in the previous 10 months than in the previous 10 years. Uh, actually, last week I heard someone from the European Commission say that more happened in the last six months than in the preceding 60 years, which perhaps says more about the European Commission and their traditional involvement in this field. Uh, but still, lots of things has been happening. And for several reasons. We have the Trump factor, we have several Brexit factors, both the UK not kind of using their veto anymore, but also the other countries need to find new energy and, and uh, for integration, and defense has been one such field. Uh, there's, of course, the Russia factor. There's also EU factors. We have a new s strategy in place, the European Global Strategy, which kind of feeds momentum into this area. So today, the plan is to, to look ahead and considering all these factors that we've seen uh, during 2017, what kind of future can we envision for European security and defense? You could say we actually already started this yesterday with a seminar uh, about Trump, one of the kind of known unknowns of European security, because we have a new publication that is just out. So if, you're, if you read Swedish, uh, please consider this new Supermacht på glid, which we released uh, just recently. Today, the focus is on two other kind of known unknowns, uh, one being the Franco-German relationship. Uh, what will it deliver when it comes to European security? And the other one is Brexit. Uh, what is the role of the UK post-Brexit in European security and also in international security? Uh, and to my help with these issues, we have two uh, absolutely not unknown experts in this field. Um, I have bios that I could read for the half of this seminar, which I won't. Uh, but we have Professor uh, Dr. Richard Whitman here from the UK. Uh, an associate fellow at the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Chatham House. Director of Global Europe Center and Professor of Politics and International Relations at the University of Kent. And we have uh, Dr. Christian Mölling, Deputy Director at the Research Institute at the German Council of Foreign Relations, DJAP, our kind of sister organization. Uh, at least we like to think that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and you're heading DJAP's work on security defense and defense industrial issues with a special focus on German security and defense policy. You've been in the German Marshall Fund and the SWP before that, so you're both very welcome. Uh, and I think perhaps we should start with, with the, the, the core, uh, the Franco-German relationship, um, and with you, Christian. I mean, there have been there high expectations on what this relationship should actually deliver, and for several years we've heard like, well, you won't, don't expect anything until the, until the German election. And now it was quite a while ago we had a German election and we're still expecting uh, things to come out of it. Um, and only yesterday we, we celebrated that the LEC Treaty was 55 years. So please tell us, what should we expect from the German-French relationship? Will it drive European security? And if so, in what direction? Please. 
this sounds as works. Um, yeah, I guess you have to wait a little bit longer. Um, and so the celebration of the Elysee Treaty has happened kind of half absent with Germans in there because everybody knows we currently have no real government besides the acting government um, and therefore of course big question marks are there. I think it's um, not only because of this it makes sense to think about the future of the Franco-German axis um, from a scenario perspective. Uh, and that's what uh, I've been asked uh, to do and I'm very happy to, to do so. Um, what I will show you now may run a little bit dry for you because it's not very imaginative to show you the, the approach that we have used. Um, what I would like to draw your imagination to uh, is basically what would you as individuals or as Swedes like to achieve uh, what what kind of scenario would you like to choose or what would you like to this German Franco-German axis to be because that is something what, what what we have done is simply saying so this is how it could develop but what is best for Europe is still up to to be decided and also then what should drive the policy of the different countries because there is of course a way to influence the Franco-German axis not only if you are the US or if you're the German Chancellor or the, the French president there are other actors which have the opportunity um, to to influence uh, German thinking and, and uh, the Franco-German axis, as well, and this is the the, the final point. This um, this axis will have a tremendous impact um, on European security defense, and that was the question. So, how does the Franco-German axis develop, and what are the implications um, for uh, for European defense? Now, as I want to show some slides, which hopefully hopefully um, support what I'm going to say. I think, I mean, this, this partnership is not coming out of blue. I think that's the most important starting point. It is a, a long-standing partnership which has had over the last decades mixed results. It started, one could say, empathically after the end of the Second World War uh, with ending centuries of, um, um, uh, of being basically at war with each other. Um, and hopefully finding then after the Second World War a way to uh, to come together for the for the next centuries. Um, in the security defense field that started not with the European army as many people uh, have noted over the last years again that the uh, European Defense Union that was foreseen in the 1950s did not come into real life because of the French um, but the Franco-German axis, nonetheless, has been very alive at, uh, in the 1950s and 1960s with a first wave uh, of defense industrial projects, uh, which these countries have generated and then uh, used and exported uh, to other countries. And fast forward, um, after this initial phase, we had a lot of um, then talk about this time and how great it was, but it has been the past. Um, yes, we had the Franco-German Brigade, and some other initiatives, but at the end of the day, one has to look at the the last 20 years as something that has been politically always high on the agenda, but militarily and in terms of security policies, low in terms of output. Um, and that also defines the, the starting point for, has defined, I should put it this way, has defined the starting point for, for Merkel and Macron last year already in 2016 um, when they realized that not only because of Trump but 
because of the internal developments with the European Union, that there is a need uh, for Germany and France to, uh, to re-establish the partnership and to send a signal uh, into Europe uh, about the European core, about integration, about keeping the political framework of the European Union together. Um, and this was supported last year um, during the meeting between the French and uh, German heads of state and government uh, with a declaration on the 13th of July, which is all over like 30 pages, but I guess a third of it is about security defense and it has a load of palpable projects in there. This has given hope, uh, tremendous hope, to um, uh, to a, a restart of this partnership. And now everybody is still hoping that this re that this restart can happen with the German government, hopefully being online in April, uh, and then also being able to to chip into this partnership again. Um, but and this this is the way to commence. Um, into the scenarios, this is not a done deal. There are many other things that can influence on that, or there are things that influence on that. And to get a clearer perspective, I would like to shift into into my oh, scenarios. There actually, I don't want to go into the, the very details of all the factors we have analyzed here. What is most important is there are three uh, three main areas, which is defense industries capabilities and common policies that will influence um, the future of the axis between Germany and France. Then you can say so which factor is high and low, but that is not the, the most important thing. The most important thing is also, you can see already the difference between the two countries. If you try to, to identify as to what extent the current policies are similar, running into a similar direction or into a, um, into a different direction. And you see, especially in the area interestingly, of defense industry, there's a lot of contradiction. Germany has a different policy compared to France if it when it comes to defense industry as well uh, as it when it comes to defense exports. We're very reluctant on exporting. The French have made this uh, one of their uh, uh, best uh, things for the moment for the defense industry. Um, we also not share many things um, when it comes to one of the key issues, which is, of course, strategic coherence. The French and the Germans have very different strategic cultures, um, which is, of course, one of the um, the big factors of when it comes to, to long-term partnerships between Germany and France. The main, these, these areas also describe already the main areas of um, where progress can basically be achieved. There's a, f a fourth area I'd have to, I have to add, <coughs> which is operations. So where do we go and where do we engage uh, in the future? Where also the Germans not share um, uh, the same strategic outlook that the French uh, have and therefore look in different directions. Where the Germans look much more to the east, uh, the French look much more to the south. However, these perspectives start more and more to converge. Oh, this direction. So. What are the scenarios that we have developed? There is one, the first scenario is the weak or hollowed out axis, nothing more than a political statement. So we would continue basically the pathway that we had had uh, over the last 10 years, 15 years, I would say. Um, the second scenario is it can get even worse. This is the broken axis. 
where the classical German and French security attitudes return and the compromise is no longer searched for. Um, that was a very interesting scenario in, in trying to show that it really can get worse on these things and we find in different, in different camps at the end of the day. Then a scenario many may hope for is the strong axis where Paris and Berlin drive, uh, uh, drive back into the European defense. And the last scenario that is, we call it the surprise scenario, which is the defense union is in sight. This is a specific scenario because it, um, it goes beyond the limits of the factors that we have identified. So it, it becomes better than possible to a certain extent. It means, for example, that Germany and France overcome their, strate their strategic cultures and shape into new strategic cultures, or at least develop new strategic interests, and, this is, and that would be common interest. So this is, the, I would say, the rather unlikely, which also shows, and that was the indication we would like to give, the European Defence Union that many people have talked about over the last month is in our perspective rather improbable and is not yet there, because, or at least not from, a, from the perspective of German and, uh, and French chipping into, uh, into this idea. Um, Maybe I don't go through the different factors. I think, especially from the weak uh, and hollow axis, not more than political, the, the impact on the European defense side is we'll simply have a continued fragmentation of political and military effort and also a continuation of a slow downward path of military capabilities of the industries. So that's what we have seen over the last decade, actually, or the last two decades in Europe. Nothing more not even for the not only for the EU not nothing more but also for the for Europe as such nothing more uh, the broken axis um, maybe to go a little bit deeper into this to to let you know what this means it means on the one hand on the industrial side especially France and Germany would go into competition to each other we are partly in certain areas but this would be a systematic competition that is also linked to a political attitude to each other um, it would mean on the political level that there is a return of the French strategic autonomy idea, which currently Macron is balancing with the European autonomy idea. And the Germans are declining from the idea that they have to take any special responsibility within Europe whatsoever, besides of disarmament. Um, and in terms of operations, it would mean that the French would expect the Germans being on the side and the Germans always reject, or most of the time reject, any idea of this. So we would have a solidarity crisis between Germany and France. And because of that, the existing structures also in the European Union and in Europe would break down, would reorganize and member, st and member states would start reorganizing in minilateral formats, even smaller than today. So PESCO would be basically a, a talking shop, um, whether uh, the PESCO, uh, whether this would then still be alive uh, would be a bit of a question. But we end up with even more and even smaller camps that are so small that they don't make a difference in terms of capabilities on the industrial or military side. So the, the decline would basically speed up. Um, on the strong axis, um, there's not much to go into this. This is, of course, what everybody would like to see, that the European defense framework will flourish um, with the big difference to the European Defense Union, that there will be still be parallel ways in here. So it's not a supranational scenario. It is still intergovernmental. 
but the intergovernmental uh, developments are parallel but interlinked, so they would be mutually reinforcing to each other. So not more efficiency, but more effectiveness possibly out of this scenario. Um, and last but not least, then of course the, the defense union scenario, which um, to a certain extent is imaginative, I guess, because it, it, it shows, as I have said, what would have to happen, but also what could be, uh, how a bright future could look like, like on the defense industrial side to go back to a super merger between France and Germany, which would possibly jump up to a global level and be a global player then. But also to, to show the, the, um, the huge steps or the impossible steps for the moment this would mean is France and Germany would pooling their nucle nuclear capable jets. This is not only because of the jets impossible, but it's also because of the attitudes toward the nuclear issues from both sides almost impossible. Um, so this very positive future where the EU as a framework and as an actor would be strengthened and more common policies would be, palp would be there with palpable impact is basically something I would not believe in for the moment. Um, so that was the, the kind of the what I think most of the time people would like to look in. So get a, get a glimpse of the future, take a look into the crystal ball. But what, how to link this to policy um, is the point where I said we need imagination or at least a, a clear guidance. Um, how do we get from these, these ideas in, into strategic choices and options to influence the French and the Germans, which would be if I would be Swedish, Finnish, Italian, Spaniard, I would start this question. Um, so I guess what is now needed from the different governments all over Europe is to define what they want to achieve with relationship to this axis. What should be the outcome for the European defense? Um, who could influence this development and over which time frame? And now we come to the kind of, I would say, the loose end of these things. What we have done, and you will read this in the paper that will be published next week, is simply we have identified across all the factors that we have seen options, so to say, inroads into the way how you can influence Germany and France. Give you an example. Um, if it's about, uh, for a country like Sweden, as it is for a country like uh, Portugal, important to stay on board um, uh, or that, that defense and security takes place in, in, in international and institutional frameworks. It is about, there's a high interest to influence that cooperation doesn't take place on a bilateral level, but basically takes place within the institutions, within NATO and within, um, uh, and within uh, uh, the European Union. Um, there is basically the need for, uh, for many countries to chip in, especially for the smaller countries, to make these frameworks also beneficial for the bigger countries. Why should they stay on board? That I think is, is one of the most important questions that needs to be needs to be solved here. Um, if you want to influence the Franco-German axis on defense industry, it's about joining common projects. That's the only way to influence the way these projects will go. Are these projects out there? Is it possible? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I could give some examples, but I think that's possibly up to the discussion. But what I cannot answer as a as as a scientist and as a as a German possibly is, is this last question. That's why we have made it 
big question marks and then in yellow, what's the policy direction you want to achieve? So if you are a planner in the foreign office or in the MOD or in your president's office or whatever, this is the answer you would first have to give. And then you can start a second planning round what you want to achieve in these areas. Do you want to have convergent of German and Franco uh, 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 views? Do we want to have at least uh, non-contradiction? Do you want to have uh, complementarity of politics? Or is it even beneficial to you to have contradiction between the politics or competition among Germany and France? Because it opens up ways for you to come in. This is nothing to be discussed publicly possibly, but this is of course an option I would think about if I would have the time and would be in the position to be decision maker, which I'm not. So I can stop here, sit down and get your questions and answers and try to answer them. Thanks. Thank you very much, Christian. Uh, I have two questions immediate, and it will also be a chance for the audience, of course, to ask questions to both of our panelists later. But I just asked you something about the, the product of, of cooperation and the, the kind of endpoint of these these four scenarios you line up. Um, and one such product that we're actually supposed to produce with cooperation is strategic autonomy. You mentioned it as a concept, and it's frequently named in the in the new global strategy, but it's well known that it's a concept that is closer to, to French tradition and if you you could say that the, the whole idea of institutionalized security cooperation was to manage German strategic autonomy in some sense. So is there today a, a reading of, of the concept of strategic autonomy that is closer to the French reading or do, can you see some convergence here or is this still a, a point of divergence between the countries? You mean between Germany and France? Um, I think that's we would have to go a little bit back in, uh, in, in into um, into time to uh, 2015 and 16 to see that Germany has engaged um, in the whole endeavor to redefine and uh, 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 and shape uh, security defense policy because they thought it's the only area uh, in which convergence among the Europeans or the EU Europeans would be possible. Um, and that this would serve the German prime interest to keep the European Union together. So it's not that much strategic autonomy uh, that has driven German interest uh, in all the recent initiatives and especially in the permanent structured cooperation. Um, it's much more about the European integration uh, and keeping Europe, Euro the European Union as the political framework, as the only political framework in that Germany can exist as it is for now to keep this alive um, and just to give this the other way around I mean f um, if you take the give you kind of a spotlight of the history um, if you take the French and the German history um, there's of course a, a breaking point which is the Second World War after that um, the French have kind of changed the number of their republics being a little bit um, uh, over exaggerated here uh, but the Germans had to change the whole setup of the political and the societal system and the day, the day one of this system was its embeddedness in the European Union and in Europe through the Union of Coal and Steel and all these things. So the very existence of my country, of its political system and of so its society is so much linked to the European Union that it would be, uh, from my point of view, impossible to, to exist uh, as a federal republic without this European political framework still be around, where the French, I guess, would have their own imagination how they could live after the European Union, which is impossible 
uh, for Germany and for Berlin, and I think therefore rightfully from that point of view, the political leadership in our country has decided this is the prime interest of the country. And there, but this explains, long way to explaining it, the different priorities, especially when it came to, um, when it comes to security and defense, where uh, strategic autonomy is possibly nice to have for the Germans, and we are looking more into it possibly because of uh, what happens on the US side, but it's not the genuine and the prime interest uh, that is really driving us for the moment, I have to admit. Talking about uh, general integration, I mean, you get the sense that uh, part of the development in this area will, will take the form of a package deal, also referring, if you, if you listen to Merkel and Macron right now, mm. uh, about Eurozone issues uh, and also on the uh, industry side of defense cooperation. Would you say that the, the cost of staying outside of the Eurozone, asking from a Swedish perspective here, will it increase? Um, when, when security and other areas of integration are so intertwined? Um, I guess the costs will increase, but not because of the security and defense area, because I think one of the options is um, nobody wants to punish the Central European countries, but there is the hard drive, or the, 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 uh, the, the, the high interest uh, to possibly increase integration. And the this most likely will um, uh, happen among those who are part of the Eurozone. So the question is whether it's a Swedish interest to be part of this deeper integration which will happen then, or whether it's it's not beneficial for you, or whether it really uh, will cost you something So if you if you stay out of it. So from that point of view, I guess we are back into some, some scenarios here where what is the, the benefit or what is the future of integration here, um, and uh, does, it, does it make sense to be part of it or not? But I think the security and defense side, also because of what we have seen over the last two months or three months, uh, after the first, you know, everybody has cheered to PESCO, now everybody has a has basically a, a headache on, so how do we make a success? Um, it's not the area where, if you scratch the surface, that everybody is, you know, so happy about it. We have many of the Central Europeans, but also in the Western part of Europe, who said, yeah, we have joined it because it doesn't hurt us, but they are not true believers in these things. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.